Hello everybody, this is the fourth sermon in our series leading us up to Christmas, looking at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. And we're finding God in unexpected places. Today we're looking at Matthew 2, 13 to 23. And we're finding God through our tears. Last week we invited a special guest to come and speak to our teenagers on Zoom. Her name was Zoe and she worked for International Justice Mission. IJM are a Christian organisation that seek to rescue those caught in modern day slavery and Zoe gave us some truly shocking statistics. There are more than 40 million slaves in the world today. That is more than at any other point in history. Human trafficking generates more than a hundred billion pounds a year. This is very big business. One in four of those slaves, so 10 million of them, are children. And the vast majority of us will have used a product partly produced by slavery by nine o'clock every morning, be it through our coffee, cereal or clothes that we have put on. Let's put some faces to those facts. Marco was just seven when he was sexually abused on live internet video, a crime called cyber sex trafficking. Gowrie took out a loan from a corrupt factory owner to feed her children. The loan continually increased so he could violently force her and her children to work long hours for him. This lasted 10 years. Foley was just a young boy when he was forced to work 19 hours a day on his uncle's fishing boat. Elsa's parents died when she was 12. She was determined to support her younger brothers. A local bar owner offered her a job, but it was a trap. Elsa was forced into a life of prostitution. Marco, Gary, Foley and Elsa have all now been rescued by the courageous work of IJM. But they are just the tip of the iceberg. There are 40 million others of them right across the world. I don't know how you feel inside as you hear these stories. My reaction was anger. How can this be allowed to happen in today's world? Where is the justice? Come on, God, where are you? What are you up to? How can evil still be allowed to wreak such havoc. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, this is probably not the first time we have found these challenging questions rising within us during this year of 2020. In the UK alone this year, there have been 1.79 million cases of the virus that has caused more than 63,000 deaths. Every single one of us have been affected, either through bereavement, illness, unemployment, loneliness or anxiety. We have experienced loss and suffering on a scale that most of us have never encountered in our lives before. And we must always remember that in many ways we have been fortunate. There have been nearly 71 million cases across the world, 1.6 million deaths. And many countries have far fewer resources to cope than we do. There are no furlough schemes in the slums of India or the favelas of Brazil. 
Again, we've wanted to shout out to God, why? Why is this happening? Where are you? What are you up to? Don't you care what we are going through? And if you've never asked those questions, let me assure you that most people have. Recent surveys have shown that this is the most common question that people have for God. Why is there suffering? It is the number one reason why people say they just cannot believe, despite all the other evidence presented to them. The problem of suffering is very real indeed. But as we have started this sermon trying to be ruthlessly honest, let us be honest about something else. The issue of suffering is nothing new. The questions we have raised are by no means unprecedented. There is a shadow side to the Christmas story, an element of it that never makes it onto the front of a cute Christmas card and is never rehearsed for the school nativity. It is ignored so often that on the few occasions we do actually read it in full, it shocks us to the core. When we read the second half of Matthew chapter 2, we suddenly find that the birth of Jesus had its own tragedy and pain. Indeed, the Son of God became a wandering refugee with a price on his head. When the tyrant King Herod hears that he's been outwitted by the Magi, he flies into a rage. This despotic megalomaniac will stop at nothing to protect his position and power. So not knowing exactly where the new king has been born, he orders a whole village of boys to be killed. All sons under two years old in the surrounding area are to be brutally executed. This massacre of the innocents, this murder of somewhere around 20 children, unleashes a wave of suffering across the land. In verse 18, we read of the sound of weeping being heard throughout the village, cries of agony shattering the stillness as mothers and fathers lie bereft in heartbroken misery. And it says these women just cannot be comforted. There's no reason to explain their pain, no solution to take it away, no answer to their questions. Why, God? Where are you? How can you have allowed this to happen? The exact same question screamed out by the graves of little children 2,000 years ago. The problem of suffering is very real, but it is nothing new. When we find ourselves with these questions tearing at our soul and the tears running down our faces, we usually head in one of two directions. Some of us, like my future sister-in-law who lost her mother very young, decide there and then God cannot exist. There just cannot be a God when things like this are allowed to take place. Everything must be random chance, the whole universe a freak coincidence. There's no rhyme or reason to anything. We should all just make the best of our lot until we die ourselves and return to the dust. This, of course, is atheism and it is on the rise. The other direction people travel in is more agnostic. 
There may well be a God. It does explain how there is a world, after all. But he cannot be all-powerful, otherwise he would stop this misery. And if he is all-powerful, then he cannot be all-loving, because why else has he not done it already? He must be playing some sadistic game. I'm sure we all know people in one of those two camps. Perhaps we've been there ourselves. Many in our world think that these are the only two options left open to them. But the Bible actually presents us with a third option. A third option that we see come to play in this story. The Bible says there is a God. He is all-powerful and he is all-loving. But he used his power and love to create a people in his image with the free will to make their own decisions. God made human beings to be truly free. He did not create programmed robots. He did not make puppets on a string. He created free people with the potential to truly love others like he does. Think about a marriage. If I forced Emily to be my wife, if I forced her to stay with me, to do things against her will, controlled all her finance, could we call that love? She would be my wife, but love would have nothing to do with it. For love to be love, it must be chosen. It must be free. When God created human beings, he wanted a people he could love and who could grow to love him in return. So he had to create them free. Every single human being has the ability to choose whether they're going to love God or reject him. In this story, Herod faced that choice. The Magi had told him about God's king. His advisers had confirmed that it fitted in with all the Jewish prophecies. But Herod just could not accept it. When faced with the choice, he chose himself rather than God. And this is the story of sin right from the beginning. Right from Adam and Eve, sin enters the world when we choose ourselves rather than God, when we seek to make ourselves more important. And every time we choose against God, we rebel against his goodness. So things that are bad start to happen. For Adam and Eve, eating forbidden fruit soon turned to envy and murder lies, drunkenness and sexual immorality. For Herod, choosing himself led to the massacre of innocent children. The Bible is clear. We all have a choice. We can either serve God or we can serve ourselves. And sin and evil reside when we choose the wrong one. Jesus grew up to teach that it is out of our hearts that darkness comes. Out of our hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. Out of our hearts. That's not God's fault. It's our own. And not one of us are innocent. So this is the real state of things. God made us with the possibility to truly love, but with that possibility came the opportunity for evil, the root of all suffering. 
This doesn't explain away everything, it does not answer all our questions, but it's a start. It keeps God in the picture and keeps the door open for hope. The theme for our series in the run-up to Christmas has been finding God in unexpected places. So far we have found God in our failures, our disappointments, and to be our guide well above our heads. Tonight we discover perhaps the most important truth of them all. Unexpectedly, God can be found through our tears. We have to ask the question why Matthew included this story in his gospel account, a story so terrible we dare not tell it to our children at Christmas time. And the immediate answer to that, of course, is that it is true. This literally happened. We have the historical evidence. But why does Matthew make room for it in his gospel when the other gospel writers don't? You will not find Herod in Mark, Luke or John. The reason that Matthew is so honest is because he's trying to show that God remains present and at work even in difficult times. Even when confronted with the heinous evil of human beings, nothing will be allowed to stop his rescue plan. Three times in this short passage, Matthew quotes the prophecies of the Old Testament, prophecies written up to 700 years before Christ's birth. He quotes Hosea in verse 15, out of Egypt I will call my son. He quotes Jeremiah in verse 18, with the weeping women refusing to be comforted. And he quotes Isaiah in verse 23, when he recognises that God's Messiah would be a Nazarene. What Matthew is labouring to tell us is that God always knew it would be this way. He knew the state his world would get into. He knew the bad decisions that humans would make. He knew the suffering that evil would cause. But giving his people the opportunity to truly love was more important. God knew he would have to send his own son into the world to overcome the evil that human beings created. God knew his son would have to suffer, even becoming a refugee as a young child. But he loved us so much, he decided these trials were worth it. The true message of Christmas is not Santa and reindeers, fairy lights and candy canes. The true message of Christmas is that God can be found in even the worst of our suffering and therefore we always have hope. God is ever present and always working to overcome the evil he comes up against. In this passage, God miraculously appears to Joseph in a dream, not just once, not just twice, but three times. God pulls out all the stops to get his son to safety. He guides them out to Egypt, then back to Israel, and then finally to Galilee. Mighty Herod has no power that can rival that of the Lord. He is a poor loser in comparison, and so is every other tyrant and evil scheme throughout history that has tried to stand against the Lord Jesus Christ. What we find then in this story is the opening glimpse of what Jesus would go on to achieve. 
Matthew has worked so hard to present Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the one promised of old who would come into the world to bring people what they needed most. Jesus is king. That's why Herod felt so threatened. But he is king like no other. He is the king who has come to bring salvation to us. The king who comes to us in our suffering and loss, our despair and hopelessness and offers us rescue. He is the only king with the power to defeat the greatest enemies of the human race, evil, sin and death. It may be that you're new to church or just exploring the Christian faith. Let me tell you three things you need to know about the baby Jesus and what he would grow up to achieve. First of all, Jesus would grow up to deal with all the sin of the human race, the evil we have unleashed and the sorrow it has caused. When he died on the cross, all our sin was nailed there with him. All our bad choices, when we've chosen ourselves rather than God, put to death as well. On the cross, Jesus bore all our sorrows. He took up our pain and suffering and declared, It is finished. By his wounds, the way has been made for us to be healed. On the cross, sin was forgiven and evil defeated. Hope for a better future burst into the world. But second, know this. While we wait for that future, Jesus is not still on the cross. He rose again and ascended into heaven from where he advocates for us today. The Bible tells us the beautiful truth that even this minute, Jesus is by the Father's side interceding on our behalf. And this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The Jesus who identifies with us and understands the pain we go through because he's been there himself. When you see those poor refugees on the TV falling from makeshift boats and drowning in the channel, think Jesus was a refugee. He knows what they feel. When you think of those 40 million slaves around the world beaten and whipped by their owners, think Jesus was beaten and whipped. He knows what they feel. When you find yourself grieving at the graveside for a friend or lose a relative to COVID, think Jesus wept at the grave of his best friend Lazarus. He knows what I feel. When Jesus came to earth as a human, he identified with us in the closest possible way. When we smile, he smiles. When we grieve, he grieves. Every day he is pleading our case before the Father, speaking up on our behalf. And thirdly, know this. One day Jesus will come back to bring the ultimate justice we all long for. When he returns, he will not come as a baby, but in glory, and he'll bring a new age, an age with no pain or suffering anymore, a world where there's no more death, no more weeping, no opportunity for evil, for all be God and all be good. As Christians, we know how everything ends. There's no mystery. We've read the final chapter. God wins. And we can rely on this being true. Just as Jesus fulfilled those three prophecies in Matthew chapter 2, the first time that he came, he will fulfill many more when he returns. 
God always keeps his word. Therefore, we always have hope. Often today you hear people say, it's just not going to be Christmas this year. It won't be Christmas without the carols or the parties or the big family get-togethers. Well, let me say this. It would just not be Christmas without this part of the story in Matthew 2. Without the pain and suffering, there is no hope. For it would just be a completely irrelevant story about a cute baby and nothing else. At Christmas, we find God to be present in our suffering and more than that, to be working to bring us through it. I urge you this Christmas, turn to Christ. He will forgive you for bad choices. He will understand your pain. And one day, sooner or later, he will dry your tears for good. This is the unexpected good news of the gospel. God is always to be found.